Fantastic. Would you remain standing? My name is Chuck Hunt. If you don't know, I am the Family Ministries Pastor here at Lake Avenue Church, and I have the pleasure of reading Scripture for us this morning. And our Scripture this morning comes out of Mark 11, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found the colt outside in the street tied at a doorway, and as they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread out their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Jesus Christ, our living hope. God, would you make that true in us today? God, would you reveal to us what you are speaking in our hearts as individuals in this heartbeat of a church that you've called to this place? God, we praise you for who you are. We praise you for the words that you caused Mark to write down on the page. God, so make those words come alive in our experience like never before. So we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I am so grateful for the presence of children in this service. It is really important when we have a chance to worship together with them, not only for their sake, but for ours to hear the things that they are saying about praising God is really helpful because it reminds me of the little winds that God has been sending to me, the little moments that I need to, to, to give God the glory for. It's a reminder for us that um, that God's, God's doing this thing in us that causes us to be like little children when we approach the Lord. It's also, um, it's also a great reminder of the opportunity that you have to work with children, opportunity that it is to, to walk with these kids in their moment of life, that they're trying to understand what this great God, this great um, person who lives in them is going to walk with them for their days. So you have an opportunity to serve with our kids. There's going to be people at a table in the lobby after service. Go talk to them. 
we're not going to handcuff you. We're not going to make you sign up all the things. We just want to have a conversation and see if what God's doing in your heart lines up with what God's doing in kids' hearts. I know, announcement, the beginning of a ser- sermon. Uh, not what you were expecting, huh? <laughs> well, well expecting, expecting things can be very tricky. I have a photo that I want to show you. Remember this? <clears throat> Nobody was expecting this. Unless, of course, you speak German or Dutch, you would have known that, spoiler alert, <laughs> I see you over there. Spoiler alert, Vader is actually Vader in Dutch, it's father. German, it's Vater. Like, all the German and Dutch people were like, how, how did y'all not miss, that? how did you guys miss that? That's super clear. There's another photo. We were expecting something great from Coca-Cola Company. <laughs> that didn't last long. Here's another photo for you. I hear, I, you know, that happened in the first service too. People were like, oh, we've been, we've been like touting that, you know, for the Dodgers for a really long time. We've been holding on to that photo, right? Like, hopefully, you know, this year. Nobody was expecting that moment. Nobody was expecting the drought either. <laughs> You may be beginning to see a theme. See, this story about Jesus is so great, right? In our text, it's so great. It's a great setup for what's about to happen. But, but even all of the indications and even the direct communication that Jesus offered about what was about to happen when he got to Jerusalem, no one saw it coming. I think it's great for us to look at our text But I also want to remind us as we're looking at our text that we look at the text that we've been given in Mark, not the one that you think that you heard me read. So let's back up for a second. Jesus has been moving toward Jerusalem in a very random but purposeful way ever since Peter's identification of Jesus as the Christ in chapter 8. There have been moments where Jesus asserts who he is in very clear and particular ways, and moments where Jesus shows great restraint and says, you know what, don't tell anyone. Don't allow people to know this thing, right? We understand that Peter gets it really quickly, but then a few verses later we realize Peter doesn't get it. We realize that the disciples get it really quickly and have been told specifically about what's about to happen, but then they don't get it. These moments where we've been told specifically about what Jesus is going to do are moments when we think that he should have done something specific, and some of them he does. He heals, he steps in and does something that that only God can do. And there are other moments where we're hoping that Jesus is going to do something, and Jesus is like, no, we're not doing that today. We've been hearing these stories and admonishments for at least five weeks, the beginning of this sermon series with Brandon's wonderful sermon. 
There's a wonderful story right before our scripture passage. It provides a really, really important context to this movement. It's the story of Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, Timaeus being someone in Jericho, who Jesus heals of blindness outside the gates of Jericho. Mark 10, 46 and 47 says this, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This story, and specifically the words, Jesus, son of David, are an indication of the continuation of the clarity of Jesus' identity of the people around Jerusalem. Bartimaeus has heard about this Jesus, right? And he spends very little time, as far as we can tell in this text, in the city of Jericho. And on his way out, what happens? He is with a large group of people, and because of whatever Jesus has been doing in and around Jerusalem at the time, out in Galilee, he basically hears something great. Bartimaeus then says what? As the crowd is moving along, Bartimaeus screams, literally is screaming at the top of his lungs so Jesus might hear them, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, because he knew who he was, and he knew that he wanted to be reintegrated into the community. Let me stop there, because that's a different sermon. Once Jesus heals Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus does something amazing. Bartimaeus doesn't turn and go back into Jericho and say, well, now that I'm healed of blindness, I can be reintegrated into my community. He says, I've been healed of blindness. I'm following Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus right now because Jesus is leaving Jericho and going straight to Jerusalem. With this large crowd, something's about to happen. And Jesus, we're assuming, and scholars assume, that this crowd is the one that travels with him all the 18 miles into Jerusalem. But they stop short. Stop about 16 miles. And they enter into Bethany and Bethpage. This Lenten journey has been about following Jesus on the road. Our Lenten journey, this sermon series, is about following Jesus on the road. And here we come to the apex, to the the climax, to the ultimate moment when Jesus enters into Jerusalem and we're going to be with all of the disciples, all with the hope and expectation that Jesus is going to usher in a brand new kingdom, that Jesus is going to bring a new government, that Jesus is going to make all things new, and Jesus is going to have a throne where James and John will learn to serve and not sit. We're walking into this space where we have allowed God to lead us. Remember, this passage is the one we have from Mark. Jesus approaches Jerusalem with they, right? doesn't say anything more about they other than they, and they is the group of pilgrims traveling with Jesus from Jericho, presumably. He, he sends the disciples, two disciples ahead. 
to go see about a cult. And if you have donkey in your mind, then you have the reference to Zechariah 9 found in John, not the one in Mark, because Mark only talks about just a cult. It might have been a donkey. Mark doesn't give you that information. The disciples go on to get the colt. Verse 7. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. If all we had was Mark, we might want to call this Sunday Coats and Leafy Branches Sunday. I'm sure there would have been palm fronds around. But I don't know about you, but the last time I climbed a palm tree to cut down palm fronds, it was really painful. Many more leafy things that you could cut from the fields around. It brings me to the question of the things that we, we're reading in Scripture. What, what, are, what are we finding out, right? What are, we, what are we hearing? What is actually going on here? If we're following along, then we've been following Jesus since he healed Bartimaeus, right? And now he's riding a colt, and we're laying down coats and leaves in front of Jesus, the son of David, the Christ, right? Everyone in the world must know what's happening. Not, not really. We have this, this moment where we're all gathered around Jesus and watching Jesus and being so close to Jesus that we're not realizing that not everybody knows what's going on. Uh, take the people about the cult, right? Disciples cruise up. They start untying a colt. Some people that are sitting around are like, hey, why are you untying the colt? Uh, well, the Lord has need of it. All right, well, go ahead. That's all it says. That's all we're given is this moment where the, the, these people aren't saying, oh, the Lord has need of it? Awesome. Hey, fantastic. We got a saddle for that thing. We have been waiting to use it. And, you know, we'll, we'll help you along with it. We got some food and everything. We'll, everything, we'll take care of you. No, no, no. They're just like, oh, go ahead. You got it. Not everyone jumps onto the bandwagon. Truth of the matter is, not them, not the people in Jerusalem know. Just as much as there are cars passing us right now on the 210. Even though we're sitting here listening to what Jesus would have for us, that Jesus is present in this moment here, there are people out there who don't know, don't care, and aren't affected by what's happening. Mark sets up this incredible clash of expectations. Will Jesus act as the obedient son of David? Will he restore the lost fortunes of Israel? Will he fulfill the promises that God made to his people? The disciples think so. They've been watching Jesus' miracles. They've been listening to Jesus' teaching. They've been around him. They've, they've heard. They've said, you know what? Absolutely. And even remember, remember when Peter said he was the, he's the Christ? He's the Messiah? That we, got, we, we know what's about to happen. 
The people think so. There's a large crowd, not just the 12 disciples, but a large crowd, a large crowd of people that are following possibly more people who have been healed by Jesus, possibly the women and other folks that are included in those people who are disciples that are following Jesus into this space. And they're saying, we are super excited about Jesus. We are super excited about what Jesus is about to do because Jesus is about to go in Jerusalem and all the things is about to change. So what do they do? They create a procession, right? They create a procession so that their shouts are evidence to everybody around that something is about to happen. Their expectation is still that Jesus will restore the Davidic kingdom reminiscent of Solomon's temple. That's the idea. And they go into Jerusalem shouting what? Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Listen, look, here's the one on the donkey that's going to save us. And a lot of, a lot of scholars would think that, that the people in front, as they were traveling west, that's y'all, would shout Hosanna. And the people behind, as they were traveling west, that's y'all, would shout, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But then the people in the front would yell back, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. To which the people behind say, Hosanna in the highest. Y'all know I didn't set that up just so that I could say it, right? Three two, one. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he. Come on, y'all. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Those pilgrims, those people, those disciples were ready, expecting that Jesus was going to upset the political system and that their salvation from the tyranny that was there is very, very near. But guess what happened? Jesus didn't do what they expected. Here's the thing, church. Jesus did not come to fulfill yours or my expectations. Jesus came to give us a completely different hope that is more serious, more clear, better planned, better purposed than anything you and I could ever think of. It was true of the disciples then. It's true of disciples now that expectations are the enemy of the gospel because hidden in expectations are a sense of entitlement. 
Hope is at the center of the gospel because at the center of hope is anticipation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And entitlement disconnects us from the Jesus and each other because our desire, our desire becomes the thing that becomes important. It becomes the desire for an outcome that we don't get to control. And when that outcome does not meet our needs, then we question Jesus. We question our ch- each other, and we don't question our perceived ideas. Hope, it keeps us connected to Jesus and one another because it's not the outcome that matters, but the journey that leads us to a purposeful outcome together. It's not about our plan, but Jesus' purpose. For when Jesus gives us a plan, then we take it and we make it ours. When Jesus gives us a purpose, then we continue to walk day by day, allowing God to be in us and allowing us to follow Jesus in a way that doesn't allow us to think about anything else but him. When we understand Jesus' purpose, then we stay close to Jesus. We stick close to Jesus. Last week we saw that James and John, they were hoping for something way different than what Jesus was seeing. They wanted to sit on Jesus' right and Jesus' left. Pilgrims expecting significant change. But Jesus does this really weird thing. Jesus on the donkey goes into the temple in Jerusalem, takes a look around, Because it's late, he goes back to Bethany. He leaves with the 12. Remember, we had a large crowd going into Jerusalem, all the things. But Jesus, it's late. He looks around. He goes out. He leaves. If I'm a pilgrim, if I'm a follower, if I'm Bartimaeus, I'm sitting there saying, wait a second, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus, do, do that thing, Jesus. Come on, wait, just, you can spit in the mud again and, you know, people will start to believe. Hey, hey, Bartimaeus, why don't you, why don't you tell that story? Tell the story, it just happened. Somebody, wait, Jesus, where are you going? Why are you not, what? Maybe you're not who we think you are. Jesus leaves, goes to Bethany, probably hangs out with Lazarus at his house in Bethany. Triumphal entry, huh? That is not the way that I thought it would go. How many of you have said that recently? In your own lives, in your own hearts, that is not the way that I thought it would go. A lot in our community, 
college seniors, high school seniors in particular, been getting a lot of acceptance letters and a lot of rejection ones. And I wonder whether or not you got into the college that you thought you should be going to or, or you didn't, are you asking the question, are you following Jesus no matter where you end up? Staying close to Jesus no matter where you end up. There's many in our community whose marriages, some are great. Some are struggling. And in those marriages, I guess I have to ask the question, given what we have, is have you learned the power of mutual submission? Some of those marriages are desiring kids or have kids. You've had a journey on, uh, of fertility. Whether or not you have kids, have you asked the question, is Jesus making me the best parent that I can be of my own biological children, of the, the adopted children that I have, even the ones that are my neighbors? How do I step into the lives of people and allow God to live through me? What about in your job? You may have the best job in the world or you may have one that you're just holding on to because man, it's expensive to live here. I guess in light of, in light of our scripture, I'll ask the question, is it about what you're doing or is it about who you're supposed to be there for? It's the tennis ball, right? It's the tennis ball that says, hey, I thought it was supposed to bounce. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, well, you ain't look inside yet. Look, look inside to see what God's doing in you, what God wants to do through you. You see, in this scripture and in the coming ones and in the coming week, what we'll see is that the only way that we let go of our expectations is to stay really, really close to Jesus. The people who see the resurrected Jesus are the ones who run after him the day after he dies to prepare a body, right? The ones who stay close to Jesus are the ones who are gathered together in community mourning and wondering what do we do now and Jesus shows up in an upper room somewhere. The ones who stay close to the Jesus are the ones who are like, wait a second, y'all saw Jesus? I'm coming back. I need to see this one who did something that we never, ever expected. The only way we let go of our expectations is to listen to Jesus' words when we hear Scripture, when we listen to what God has actually said to us and for us. We are more capable of actually speaking words of grace and peace and truth because we know the words of Jesus. The only way we let go of our expectations is to put our hope in Jesus' purpose 
because we always get purpose and not plan. So what expectations do you carry that you need the Lord to transform into hope today? As we look forward to a week where we celebrate the highs like we did today and the lows like we will on Friday. What do you need to transform into hope? For as one person once said, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things. I want to give you a moment. I want to give us a moment to sit in that for a second. And the way that I want to do that today is just to speak some words of Scripture over you. And whatever posture you need to take, whether that's eyes closed or open, whether or not you want to take notes on each scripture passage that I, that I read over you, there's only 10. I just want you to hear what God says about hope that we can enter into, that we can hold on to, so that as we go, we're grounded in that space. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Romans 12, 12. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Psalm 39, 7. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Romans 8, 25. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. And so he was made a father of a multitude of peoples. God himself said to him, you're going to have a big family, Abraham. Romans 4:18, out of the message. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Psalm 43, 5. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Romans 8, 24. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Hebrews six nineteen. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. Psalm 71, 14. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Philippians 4.8. 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah 29, 11. Spirit of the living God, as we sit in this place, joyfully worshiping you, allowing you to have access to our souls, having access to our hearts. God, I pray in your mercy and grace that you would move on us, that you would give us renewed hope in your purpose in our world, even though we might not see it. God, that you would give us this this moment to see you, to hold on to you, to stay close to you so that we might see the resurrection that we might not go away because we didn't get what we expected. God, strengthen us. Give us patience so that we might see where you're going. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.